...building walls or soon-reached ceiling, a shadowy tree arises, and, looking up into the dreamy brightness of its top, for I observe in this tree the singular property that it appears to grow downward towards the earth, I look into my youngest Christmas recollections. All toys at first, I find. Up yonder, among the green holly and red berries, is the tumbler with his hands in his pockets who wouldn't lie down, but whenever he was put upon the floor, persisted in rolling his fat body about until he rolled himself still, and brought those lobster eyes of his to bear upon me, when I affected to laugh very much, but in my heart of hearts was extremely doubtful of him. Close beside him is that infernal snuff-box, out of which there sprang a demoniacal counsellor in a black gown, with an obnoxious head of hair and a red cloth mouth, wide open, who was not to be endured on any terms, but could not be put away either, for he used suddenly, in a highly magnified state, to fly out of mammoth snuff-boxes in dreams when least expected. Nor is the frog with cobbler's wax on his tail far off for there was no knowing where he wouldn't jump, and when he flew over the candle and came upon one's hand with that spotted back, red on a green ground, he was horrible. The cardboard lady in a blue silk skirt, who was stood up against the candlestick to dance, and whom I see on the same branch, was milder and was beautiful. But I can't say as much for the larger cardboard man who used to be hung against the wall and pulled by a string. There was a sinister expression in that nose of his, and when he got his legs round his neck, which he very often did, he was ghastly and not a creature to be alone with. When did that dreadful mask first look at me? Who put it on, and why was I so frightened that the sight of it is an era in my life? It is not a hideous visage in itself. It is even meant to be droll. Why then were its stolid features so intolerable? Surely not because it hid the wearer's face. An apron would have done as much, and though I should have preferred even the apron away, it would not have been absolutely insupportable like the mask. Was it the immovability of the mask? The doll's face was immovable, but I was not afraid of her. Perhaps that fixed and set change coming over a real face infused into my quickened heart some remote suggestion and dread of the universal change that is to come on every face and make it still. Nothing reconciled me to it. No drummers from whom proceeded a melancholy chirping on the turning of a handle, no regiment of soldiers with a mute band taken out of a box and fitted one by one upon a stiff and lazy little set of lazy-tongs. No old woman made of wires and a brown paper composition, cutting up a pie for two small children, could give me a permanent comfort for a long time. Nor was it any satisfaction to be shown the mask and see that it was made of paper or to have it locked up and be assured that no one wore it, The mere recollection of that fixed face, the mere knowledge of its existence anywhere, was sufficient to awake me in the night, all perspiration and horror, with, Oh, I know it's coming! Oh, the mask! 
I never wondered what the dear old donkey with the panniers, there he is, was made of then. His hide was real to the touch, I recollect, and the great black horse with the round red spots all over him, the horse that I could even get upon. I never wondered what had brought him to that strange condition, or thought that such a horse was not commonly seen at Newmarket. The four horses of no colour next to him that went into the wagon of cheeses and could be taken out and stabled under the piano appear to have bits of fur tippet for their tails and other bits for their manes and to stand on pegs instead of legs, but it was not so when they were brought home for a Christmas present. They were all right then. Neither was their harness unceremoniously nailed into their chests, as appears to be the case now. The tinkling works of the music cart I did find out to be made of...